0: The following is a recording of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information, visit gpts.edu. I learned to sing that hymn in the ARP, so it's ordained in the ARP. Um, Let's turn in your Bibles, if you will, with me to Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 7, verse 7 through 10 today, Galatians 6. is God's Word. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, Let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing once more on his word this morning. Great God and Father, we come to you this morning asking for your blessing. That the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight That your word would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that we might behold the glorious things you have to show us in your holy scriptures. We pray this, asking for the help of your spirit, in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, most of us, I think all of us in the room, have uh, just celebrated Thanksgiving uh, we celebrate thanksgiving every no November, but it wasn 't always so uh, if you remember from your American history four hundred years ago uh, Thanksgiving was first celebrated that feast that the Pilgrims shared with the Native Americans was first celebrated maybe late September early october, and they they didn 't gather. Um, much to my surprise, around a long table with doilies as depicted in Victorian-era paintings. They would have gathered around uh, little small campfires and small groups together and and shared. Yes, they did. They shared a feast, uh, 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 reaped a a great harvest with their Native American friends there of deer, corn, peas, squash. They had uh, turkey, as well, actually, as William Bradford indicates uh, in his writings, Bradford, the governor, declared that that feast would be a special occasion for the people to gather and rejoice and enjoy the, the fruit of their labor. But if you remember, um, the time leading up to that first harvest was anything but enjoyable. The journey from England was very difficult and when they landed they spent an entire winter in very difficult conditions in fact as you'll know burying half their number during that first winter and and their their crops that they planted bringing seeds over from england the first crops they planted failed because the seed the seed was bad and really their their survival is largely due to the 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 native american friends that they made you think of squanto who helped them learn how to to plant crops, and though the winter was long and slow, they did, in fact, finally reap a harvest that autumn of 1621. And we too, Paul shows us in this passage, will reap a harvest. Yet, I think for us, the challenge is that we get impatient, waiting for results, waiting for spiritual fruit in maybe somebody you've prayed for, uh, wondering what the spiritual fruit is of all the Greek and Hebrew flashcards that you're looking at, maybe right now, or maybe you will look at, we get impatient. We want instant gratification at the at the very least. We want to see progress much quicker than we end up seeing it in our spiritual lives. We get short-sighted. And we forget that spiritual growth takes a long time. In many and often most cases, the increase, though, is the Lord's. But He promises that we will reap. He promises a harvest. Zian Hamilton likes to say. I'm sure that he is a friend. I know he's a friend of this seminary and, and very much a part of your life here. Waiting time is not wasted time. Waiting time is not wasted time. But waiting time must also not be wasted. And what this passage shows us is that what we do matters. What we do, what we put in, will determine what we will get out. And Paul is showing us very clearly, if we sow to the flesh, it will produce death. And so he's calling us to sow to the Spirit. And he says that will, that will also generate a return on the investment. Because we reap what we sow, we must sow to the Spirit. And in due time, we will reap a harvest. A harvest of, of eternal life that we enjoy in abundant life here and experience the, 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 the true fruition of in the life hereafter. And so when we're tempted to short-sightedness, maybe you're coming to the end of a long semester or a long season in your life where you're dealing with some discouragement. I don't know what you're going through. But when we're tempted to short-sightedness or discouragement, let this passage, let this passage be an encouragement to you and to me today to spur us on to continue to serve, to continue to do good because, because doing good in Jesus' name is always. Always worth it. That's what I want us to see today as we dive into our passage. Now let's look at uh, verse seven. Let's just look there as we unfold this. And Paul is saying, "Don't sow to the flesh. You will reap what you sow." It's as if he's telling his readers, his hearers, "You're not going to get away with this. You're not going to mock God. Don't be deceived. Your present." conduct, as Rikens says, does determine your future condition. There's a sense in which that is really true. What you, what you put into life will determine what you get out. And you know this if you're, if you're studying right now. You, you realize that the grades you receive largely are, are due to the investment of the study you, you put in. Yes, it's all by his grace, but we, we are to put forth effort Here as well. And Paul is saying to us, don't be deceived. Don't kid yourselves. For we won't get away. We won't get away with flaunting God's commandments. We won't get away, verse seven, with mocking God. God is not mocked. God's not going to permit anyone to to make light of who he is, to make light of his commands. Those who do not hallow his name will, will not be unnoticed. God will hold us accountable. He will hold mankind accountable for his actions, his words. God is not mocked. Phil Riken points out two very helpful examples here. The example you remember of of Goliath uh, there in the Valley of Elam where the Israelites are gathered against the Philistines and Goliath is mocking God and God brings him down as David slings that stone right into his forehead and he is killed or think of Herod. think of Herod. remember in Acts chapter 12, when he sort of sets himself up as, as a, 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 um, a deity-like king, as he's sitting on that throne, soliciting the worship of all the people around him. and what happens? you remember? The angel comes, strikes him down, and he's it's very gruesome, isn't it? He's eaten by worms. God does reserve. A harvest. Uh, there is a harvest for those who mock God. Jesus clearly speaks of that in Matthew chapter thirteen. Those who sow bad seed, those who are bad seed, are, are thrown into the fiery furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a real warning here. Uh, there's a warning to all. There's a warning to us, uh, believer um, men in Christ. Though we have Christ's righteousness and though he has taken our hell and and given us his heaven and we are no longer, praise God, liable to the pains of, of hell forever, we will be accountable for what we do and we say. And yes, there is far more grace. Praise God, there is far more grace in Him than there is sin in you. But we are not to presume upon grace. Knowing that there is far more grace in God than there is sin in us should lead us to the very opposite, to not presume upon grace, but to live a life seeking to grow in grace. Says, though, we will be accountable for the words that we speak in the day of judgment, giving account for every careless word. And so, Paul says, then, doesn't he? Rightly, and, and driving this home, verse 8, whoever sows in the flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. He's saying to us, don't sow in the flesh. Now, what does it mean to sow in the flesh? Well, Maybe it's the Burger King motto. Maybe it's it's saying to the flesh, you know, have it your way. It's okay. Covered by grace. Sowing to the flesh is really doing all of those things that Paul has previously mentioned, giving ourselves, entertaining uh, desires that lead to the behaviors and the activities that he's previously mentioned in chapter 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Again, he gives this warning that the wrath of God is coming on these things, and those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so to sow to the flesh then is to to give ourselves to those desires that lead to these things. And Paul says, what what will happen if we sow to the flesh? Verse 8, we will reap corruption. If you you or I, I perish the thought of anyone in this room being marked by, by this, but if you or I are persistently marked by sowing to the flesh, we will reap corruption. We will reap destruction. And you know this plays out in a very, very practical level in, in your life. And you know how this plays out. If you if you sow, let's take some for instances. If you sow to your pride, generally speaking, in in ministry, if you sow to your pride in life or ministry, whatever context you find yourself, you will you will reap. An unteachable spirit you will have many blind spots and you might end up fatally wounding your particular ministry in a in a particular place if you sow to the false god of earthly status and it is very very tempting for us um, as as men who are out front in some setting, or will be out front? The temptation to sow to the to the god of status is very real. Uh, it's very pernicious. It's very deceptive. You may have a lot of likes on Instagram uh, or whatever it is the kids are using these days, but you, you may not have a lot of true friends. You know, you 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 and I might have um, fear and and admiration, but not real respect. And that false God of of status, if you bring that that with you into a ministry setting, you will end up trampling the very people that God has given you to serve and to lay your life down for. A few others here. If you sow to the false God of pornography, which is such a a battle for so many men, if you sow to that false God, you'll reap a life characterized by lies by hiding um, sadly even maybe a broken marriage if you sow to anger if you sow to anger you'll you will reap unforgiveness you'll reap resentment you'll reap bitterness and eventually you'll isolate yourself so I think the question for me in this passage the question for you is am I toying with the flesh is there some area of my life, some area of the the flesh, of the old self, of sinful patterns that I'm just sort of nurturing, that I'm allowing to exist. We know that a small rudder determines the direction of the ship and it only takes a little spark for a raging conflagration. Likewise, we must not nurture or give any room for sin because it will lead to corruption, destruction, and take us further than we want to go, keep us longer than we want to stay, cost us more than we want to pay. We can't manage sin. Paul lists these things here and elsewhere in Colossians in order that we might put them to death. John Owen, doesn't he say it? it, What is it? Be killing sin or it will be killing you. So don't let that go to seed in your heart. Don't let any any sin go to seed in your heart. Because what, what it promises, it will not deliver. What we think it will give us, it will not deliver. But Paul is telling them not to sow to the flesh because... Because they're different now. They've been delivered into a whole new life, a whole new realm, a spiritual realm that he talks about in chapter 5. They're no longer defined by these sins of the flesh that Jesus nailed to the cross. It's not good news. though, Though you and I still struggle and we still sin, we are not defined by these things. Even the things that strike at the very core of who you are, this, this saying is, has been going around in Presbyterian circles, and I'm glad it is going around, but it, it, um, the saying is, we name our sins, we're not named by our sins. We, we name our sins, but we're not defined by our sins. That's not who we are anymore. And so, why would we sow this kind of seed? What kind of seed are you planting? What kind of seed are you planting right now where you are um, Emerson's saying is so helpful. I think here, what is it? So, sow a thought, reap an action; sow an action, reap a habit; sow a habit, reap a character; so character, reap a destiny. And so, do not sow to the flesh, because sowing to the flesh brings death. That's not who we are anymore. We are of the spirit. So Paul says. Instead, verse 8, we are to sow to the Spirit. And the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. The one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, what does it mean to sow to the Spirit? It means saying, have your way, Lord. It means going back to chapter 5. could have read that. But it means uh, keeping in step with the Spirit. It means walking by the Spirit. It means being led by the Spirit, Galatians 5.18. Sowing to the Spirit means that we ask ourselves, Lord, how am I cultivating the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's, that's, that's the fruit. That's the harvest that is to come. But how are we, how are we cultivating these things? And that is a good question. How do we cultivate these things in our lives? I think Scripture would show us it's through the means that God gives us, isn't it? Through the very means of, of grace. Through His Word. Through sacraments, through prayer, uh, through worship, through fellowship. And so, how do we use those means? Well, we pray, pray until we really pray, right? It means when we come to God's word, and when we come to God's word, we, we don't merely come in order to check off the Bible reading for that day, even though we, we should have our regular Bible readings. It means that we come to feast on Christ. It means that when I come to the Lord's table, I come with my heart prepared, longing to sup with and commune with my Savior and to remember Him. Remember not just what He did, right? We remember who He is to us. And we remember that He's coming again and we come to that table to delight in Him. Sowing in the Spirit means that when I take opportunities for fellowship with the the church, with the body of Christ, uh, I hope all of you are attached to or, or linked with, joined with a local church body, uh, if that's possible for you. But we come to those opportunities for fellowship to do good to the rest of the body, as he'll speak about later. Not, not merely coming to fellowship opportunities to socialize with the people that we enjoy, but we come to those opportunities asking ourselves, how might I build up and make great my brothers and sisters at this event, at this venue, at this time? Sowing in the flesh is, or rather, sowing in the spirit is the means by which we grow strong just as you work out or you eat right in order to grow strong physically. As we use the means of discipleship that God has given us, we sow in the spirit. The big idea here is this in whatever you do, why are you doing it? And whatever you do, are you doing it to the glory of God? And so that means that, that, We're not limited to certain activities, spiritual activities, even though there are spiritual disciplines and means of grace that God has given us. But but in everything, whether I'm tithing or serving in the nursery or taking a cup of cold water to my neighbor in need, in everything, wherever I live and work and play, am I doing that and am I able to say that I am doing that in order to make my Heavenly Father smile, in order that He would be glorified. and So it really touches on all of life. So are you sowing in the Spirit? Are you sowing in the Spirit? Am I sowing in the Spirit? This passage says that if we sow in the Spirit, we will reap. We will reap eternal life. Praise God. Eternal life is a free gift of God. We know that we don't, sow in the spirit in order to procure eternal life as if we could earn eternal life eternal life is not on the basis of our works but on Christ's work for us on our behalf but the pathway to eternal life is the pathway of sowing in the spirit and sowing in the spirit will allow us to enjoy the blessedness of that eternal life even now as we experience abundant life and we know that it matters as well for the blessedness of the life to come there will be a wonderful harvest and i think this passage also hints at the urgency you know there's the saying you only live once and in this life we only get one shot Verse 10 speaks about as you have opportunity. And verse 10 it speaks about as you have opportunity, not in saying, well, if the opportunity presents itself, um, what, what Paul is saying here, as we have opportunity, means that the opportunity is now. The opportunity is now. Now is the time to sow. Now is the planting time in your life and in my life, man. Now is the time to sow. When we may get glimpses, we may get glimpses of that harvest. But the harvest time that Paul really points us to is a time to come. And this is hard. This is challenging. Paul knows this is hard and challenging. And so he addresses the issue of discouragement. He addresses those of us who are weary. He addresses those of us who who struggle with with wondering, does my life make a difference? In the very next verses, verse 9 and 10, let us not grow weary of doing good. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Now, the focus shifts here in reaping and sowing. Paul was primarily focused on our our personal spiritual lives of of reaping and sowing there in verse 7 and 8. Now he's going to focus on our doing good to others and sowing seed by doing good for others and to others as well. What kind of good is Paul thinking of? Well, he's possibly thinking of the verse before verse 7 that we didn't mention, um, doing good things or sharing rather all good things with those who teach, with the one who teaches. So taking care of and giving remuneration, material remuneration to those who teach and preach the word. But he's probably thinking of all kinds of good that we do to and for others material good, meeting material needs, but also doing good means doing spiritual good. It means it means giving encouragement to that church member or that friend whose relative is hurting right now or sick. It means calling a widow at this time of the year who's grieving and encouraging her. It means coming alongside and exhorting a church member who's tempted to drift from Christ. It means all kinds of spiritual good. It means evangelizing your neighbor or your friend or that person that you see in that place over and over again that doesn't know Christ. It means doing all kinds of good things and all kinds of good things in Jesus' name for his sake. And this will produce a harvest. And so Paul says, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary, verse 9. What encouragement, what a guardrail for our hearts this is, because we are tempted to grow weary. And men, you do, you have, and you will endure opposition. You'll endure opposition from the outside, and you'll endure opposition from within the church as well. You will face opposition. You will face difficulty. You will face dry times. You will struggle. And and that is, that is part of the life of the minister. And man, Paul knows this. We don't even have to recount the many ways Paul's experienced this. He's, he knows what he's talking about here. He knows that there is a tendency in the midst of difficulty to be discouraged. And so he says, don't get discouraged. Don't grow weary. You know, it's taxing. It's taxing to keep loving people who are very difficult to love. It's taxing when you feel like you're the only one who gets it or, or you're the only one who's, who's pulling your weight around here, whatever sort of inwardness we begin to feel, whatever discouragement comes from that. Maybe you're tempted to think in this season of life that your labors don't matter. Um, Or that your life doesn't count. I think of, and maybe this is a trite illustration, but the movie It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey. uh, If you haven't seen the movie, there's there's a lot there. Uh, I I recommend it. But if you remember, he owned and operated a financial institution that lended money to all kinds of people. And he was the town do-gooder. Uh, and he did good to so many people, um, people who were in the margins, people who were of no reputation, people who were uh, great and mighty. He cared for and invested himself in so many people throughout his story. And 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 towards the end of the movie, you see him dealing with his own acute, very difficult financial crisis. And he says to himself, man, I, I wish I'd, I'd I'd be much better off dead than alive. And so, thinking all of his efforts are in vain, he is met by and led out of his morass by a somewhat heretically depicted angel. But at the end, he's led to see that every investment that he made in people's lives really mattered, really mattered. And in the closing scene, every person whom he had invested in comes to his house to invest in him. And each of those person's lives have been profoundly touched by George Bailey. But the fruition of those things wasn't seen in the moment. It was seen over the long haul from a man who's simply trying to do good Maybe you're here. Maybe, you, maybe you've been pouring your life. Maybe you've been pouring your prayers out for somebody and you wonder, um, it, am I doing any good? You're tempted to, to believe maybe even that, that study is pointless. I don't know what it is, what your struggle is today, but don't give up. Don't give in. Don't stop doing good for Jesus' sake. Hit the books when you don't feel like studying. Keep praying when you don't want to pray. Keep trusting. Keep doing good. Keep laying your life down for people who are the hardest to love. Don't believe the lies of the evil one. And when he comes and he'll tell you, he will tell you, he will aggravate your woe. He'll aggravate your flesh and he'll say it's not worth it. Don't believe that for a minute. Answer that with scripture. Answer that with the truth of who Jesus is and who he's called you to be. Never give in why, verse 9. In due season, we will reap a harvest. In due season, over the long haul, there will be a harvest. Again, we may get glimpses of that in this life, and praise God, He gives us glimpses of that when the person you've been praying for comes to know Christ. And when you see yourself 10, 20 years down the road, having grown in grace, and when, when you see others around you experiencing the joy of the Lord in a new way, you do get glimpses of that harvest. But the season, the due season that Paul is talking about, has a, a long view. It has a, another season in view, just as I don't know if you have a, anybody has a garden in here and you, you plant crops and you end up, you know, waiting through the summer and the spring. And then, you know, maybe all that comes to fruition, but it comes to fruition in a different season than when you planted. And so this, pas- this passage calls us to wait patiently, not to complacency, but to be patient. Because God is at work. And one day there will be a harvest. That harvest is in another season. And so Paul says, don't give up. In due season we will reap if we do not give up. Paul is saying that we must persevere. And as we persevere, we will see that reward. We will see that harvest. Now, it doesn't mean we, we are saved by working hard. But as we persevere, as we press on, God preserves us by his grace. It's that, that mystery. As we persevere, God preserves us. And what we have then, as Hendrickson puts it so well, is, is, is this is the big picture. This is the big picture of life. Right now is the planting time. There will be a harvest. And, and, and right now what we're doing is we're preparing here for going there. And, and, and he says, how do we prepare here for going there? Well, we prepare for the Lord of the harvest to come by planting, by doing good to all people. Not in order to earn God's love, but in an attitude of gratitude for the, for the, for the love of God, for the Heavenly Father who chose us in Christ from before the foundation of the world. We do it because God has loved us from before the foundation of the world. So we keep doing good to all, verse 10, regardless of who they are, look for opportunities to stoop low, to stoop low for the lowly, because you and I are the lowly, and Christ, who is gentle and lowly, came for the lowest of the low, even you and me, humbling himself to death on a cross, and because he did us the greatest good, can't we do good to all people? Especially, verse 10, those who are of the household of faith, what happens What happens when you do good to those in the household of faith, when you do good to people who don't look like you, who are different than you, who grew up in a different place, and then, that, quite frankly, you don't even like? What happens? The whole world recognizes that the gospel is the power of God to salvation, that Christ is true, and that his people are real, that the transformation the gospel brings is real. Jesus says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another as we do good to the household of faith, that testimony shines forth to a watching world. So just a few rapid fire applications for us. Guys, I know you're in the middle of it right now in your studies. Don't grow weary. Press on, press on. You will reap a harvest and it's going to pay dividends Years from now, as you go out to congregations and love and serve them, and you won't even know the difference you've made. You don't have to know the difference you've made, but you'll see it in glory and that'll be okay. Teachers, ministry leaders, those those in positions of, of leadership, keep coaching, keep mentoring, keep pouring your lives into, into one another. Um, because you'll see leaders emerge in Christ's church that make an impact for Him. For all of us, let's keep on loving. Let's keep on serving. Let's keep on sowing in the Spirit, because we will see people come to know Christ. We will see people grow in grace, and we will experience more and more joy in the Lord as we taste that eternal life now, but experience it in the life to come. Remembering this, Jesus who died, who was buried, who rose again, He rose again as the first fruits of a great harvest, didn't he? And where he is, you will be also. You'll see that reward. Doing good in his name is worth it. And so then, brothers, let us be steadfast, as Paul said, always abounding in the work of the Lord, immovable, because your labor, whatever it is, whatever it is, for the Lord is not and will not be in vain. Praise Him. Let's pray. Lord Christ, as we come to these challenging words, but encouraging words to the Apostle Paul, may we, with deep conviction, press on for Jesus' sake, knowing that He has done us the greatest good in coming to rescue us at the cross so that we might go and do good by laying our lives' time and selves down for others. We pray, even now, looking towards that great harvest yet to come, in Christ's name, Amen. Thank you for tuning into this production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information, please visit gpts.edu.